Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Amy Sandler. Amy is a professional speaker, corporate mindfulness trainer, and executive coach who believes that powerful questions and deep listening are the gateways to transformation. She first learned meditation while a freshman at Harvard College and picked it up again at Harvard Business School in the mid-90s. While her MBA classmates were getting jobs in stock options in something called the internet, Amy moved to LA, got an MFA in screenwriting from UCLA, and started practicing yoga and meditation. With more than 20 years in senior roles in organizations including Young Presidents Organizations, UCLA, and Vistage, Amy is now a certified breathwork meditation teacher, four-time firewalker, dog lover, kitten employee, and certified teacher of the Search Inside Yourself program developed at Google. While she can't stop herself from using the third person in these bio pages, shame on Stacy for making her do this, Amy is delighted to share some of the practices that helped her find focus, freedom, confidence, and creativity. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stacy. I'm so happy to be with you today. Well, thank you for joining us. I just wanted to uh, let folks know Amy and I have known each other since we were really, really little kids. And I certainly hope, even though Amy is out in L.A. now, I believe she's still a Red Sox fan. Is that true? That is very true. And I actually have pictures of my cat, Bam Bam, surrounded by a lot of Red Sox paraphernalia to to back that up. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, Amy, while you may not have originally been a cat lover, you have slowly come over to uh, our side of the pond and and become one. Would you like to share a story or two about your uh, involvement with cats? I sure would. Well, I just mentioned Bam Bam. Bam Bam was really the cat that brought me to the dark side. Um, she, she was not a cat that I intended to have. I was in a relationship that ended and found the one thing that was left over was me with this cat, Bam Bam. So we had a bit of a rocky beginning. I also didn't realize, because I'd never had a cat, that she was unusual. I guess one example would be sometimes the vet would have to put about three or four people in the back to contain her passion for being at the vet. Um, But she had a lot of expressions of independence that resulted in, I think I had about two or three staph infections. I had countless scratches. But ultimately, I learned this was just an amazing being who had her own personality. She was not going to be, you know, she's sort of like uh, Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing. No one was going to put Bam Bam in a corner. And it was really devastating for me. She was about six and a half a few years ago, um, diagnosed with cancer. And it, it really was just about a month. And so we shared some really beautiful farewell lessons. And she taught me a lot about letting go. And she taught me a lot about showing up. Yeah, so I'm very grateful to Bam Bam. And then I have a dog. He's about 10 and a half and was at the vet to get some stuff for him a couple months ago. Was not intending to get a cat. And there were some kittens that had been rescued uh, since they were about day one, uh, age one, one day old. And there was a kitten and she looked at me and I looked at her and she's now part of the family. Her name is Zigi. 
which is a Tibetan word that means confidence and a bright light. Uh, sometimes her confidence expresses itself by jumping into the refrigerator and into the stove. The stove has never been turned on because I don't really cook, but um, she has a zest for the, the unexplored. Well, many kittens I feel are probably that way. And she's about four months old at this point. She's about four. Yeah. So I I might be coming to you for some advice about uh, her her hijinks. And (laughs) she's just, she's adorable. I love, I love her. So some folks might be wondering, you know, why, why do I have Amy on the show today? And I really think that it's important for us to learn more about how we should manage some of the stress that we have in in our lives when we're dealing with cats, cat colonies, people in our communities. Amy really, really knows about meditation and mindfulness and has some experience with yoga. And I was just wondering if you could share with our listeners you know, why is it beneficial to have all of these components in our lives when we're dealing with so much stress on a daily basis? Well, thanks, Stacy. Yeah, this is something I'm really passionate about. I should qualify that I cannot pretend to be an expert in how to handle cats. If there's one thing I've learned, (laughs) they will continue. That's why I list myself as an employee. Um, They will continue to teach me and I'm just listening and observing. Uh, it's people I might have a little more insights into, but I'll defer to you guys on the cat front. If there's anything I see in traveling around the country, working with CEOs and executives and people that are really busy at work is just this feeling of stress and of not enough, not enough time, not enough resources. And our bodies really absorb a lot of that stress. And it resonates with me because I've been in very similar positions as well through work. And then it manifests when you're working with animals because I know when I'm feeling under stress and the animal's right there, I don't have as much of a capacity to deal with if ZG scratching on something if I'm feeling stressed. If I'm coming from a place of wholeness, I have a bigger space. I have more of a, a well of resilience to tap into. So the practices that have been really beneficial for me, like you mentioned, I've practiced yoga on and off for about 20 years My consistent practice is a mindfulness meditation practice. I also teach a form of meditation called breath work, which is a very active form of meditation where you're lying down, you breathe into the lower belly and the upper chest, and then you exhale, and you do it all through an open mouth, so you actually get a lot of energy moving. That form of meditation, it's it's a pranayama yoga, was very helpful for me to start to really connect to my body, to the wisdom of my body. And the mindfulness meditation, which we're hearing so much about in the media, there's been so much research about the benefits, everything from increasing your focus and creativity, your resilience, performance, helping your immune system to decreasing anxiety and PTSD and depression, huge amounts of research on the benefits of mindfulness. And what's interesting about mindfulness meditation is that we're actually able to change the structure and function of the brain. And if your listeners are familiar with the term neuroplasticity, it's this really exciting phenomenon that the idea is we can actually change what's happening in the brain, both the actual sort of software and hardware based on where we're putting our attention. So that's that's really exciting. Stacy. when you and I were growing up, we were taught that your brain kind of is what it is and there's not really much we can do. And in fact, we find that's not the case. We actually can train our brain. And in so doing, there's practices that we can do to help us better manage our responses. 
And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Accidental Exiles by Bruce Perry. Jesse McAllister, a young Texan and a rock war vet, escapes to Europe where he seeks a new direction and to heal his desert wounds. Wandering the streets of Ascona, Switzerland, he meets and falls in love with a beautiful Italian waitress named Sonia Altarelli. Since the horrors of combat he encountered with a boyhood friend, Jesse will have nothing more to do with war. This story is his farewell to arms. Check out Accidental Exiles on Amazon.com today. Community Cats podcast founder Stacy LeBaron doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. Stacy is available to provide customized consulting for your group to help you increase your effectiveness and develop an action plan for improving the lives of cats in your community. Working with you, Stacy will develop a consulting plan that meets your needs, including visioning workshops for your staff, board, or volunteers. For more information, you can contact Stacy directly. Email Stacy at communitycatspodcast.com or visit our website and click on the education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. So you use that word practice with regards to meditation, and I've thought on and off about doing meditation. I have to say I haven't gotten to that item on my bucket list yet. But the one thing I think I would need to always kind of keep in mind is practice, meaning you never can be a perfect meditator. It's a great question, and it shows very much how our minds are oriented and let me, let me back up a little bit. First, let me give you a definition of what mindfulness is. It's the awareness that arises when we pay attention and we pay attention on purpose in the present moment and we do so non-judgmentally. And this definition comes from John Kabat-Zinn. He created something called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR, which might be something useful for your listeners to know about if they want to... Um, there's a lot of places that offer MBSR. Each of those words are really important because we're paying attention on purpose. So that's our intention. And we're doing it in the present moment. That's all we have. Usually our mind is somewhere in the past or somewhere in the future versus just being in the present. But the last word I said, which was non-judgmentally, and that's really important because when we start to get accustomed with the nature of the mind, there are judgments being made constantly. And they're usually so much a part of the fabric of the mind, we don't even notice them. And for me as a recovering perfectionist, this was a really valuable insight. Because when I first tried to practice mindfulness, what happened was I sat quietly, I had all these thoughts happening, and then you say, oh, well, I guess I suck at this and um, I'll have to try something else. This is what usually happens to people. What's interesting is when we understand the science, it eliminates that blame, shame, judgment. There was a study done from Harvard. They pinged people by email, said, what are you doing? Result was that basically half the time, 47% of the time, our mind is wandering. That's just what the mind does. I can't give a statistic for a cat, but my experience with a kitten would probably be about 99%, but don't <laughs> quote me on that. But 47% of the time, our mind is wandering. So when we go into practicing mindfulness, which I can, I can walk you through, knowing that is so helpful. Because you think when you go to the gym and you lift some weights and you know, okay, well, I'm going to get a stronger bicep because of this. Well, what's really interesting is when we do a mindfulness practice, what we're doing is we're working with that wandering mind. So let me explain 
a little bit of just how we would do a practice. We would first, we would set an intention, maybe it's to have a little less stress, maybe to manage all of these challenges a little bit more skillfully. Whatever your intention is, you set your intention and then you follow an intention. Start with the breath. The breath is really easy because the breath is always there. So you start to follow the breath and you, you know, you can be sitting in a chair, you know, maybe you're relaxed and alert. You can try this now and you have your feet on the ground. Maybe your hands are in your lap. We just follow the breath. Maybe we feel it in the nostrils. Maybe the rise and fall of the chest. Maybe the whole body breathing. Just noticing where is the breath in the body. Well, this is a... Beautiful. I don't mean to interrupt, but I would like to find out more about how this practice or how what we were just trying to do for 10, 15 seconds there would be able to help folks that are experiencing some fatigue in the areas of empathy or compassion. And I know those are very different areas. And I thought you might be able to share with us what your understanding of the differences uh, between empathy and compassion are. Sure. I'm happy to speak with you about that. I did just want to make sure we close on what happens after we follow the breath is that our mind starts wandering. (laughs) And so that's really the most important thing I want your listeners to understand is that when the mind starts wandering, we bring it back to the attention without being judgmental about it. Oh, I suck at this. Or, you know, we try to have a kind and curious attitude. So if they want to take one thing away from all of this, when you're doing this practice, is that you bring your attention back to the breath and you notice your attitude. You try to have a kind and curious attitude. So when we talk about empathy and compassion, especially for compassion, the most important thing is to first have compassion for ourselves, to do practices that build up our own resilience. Often people that are caretakers are giving so much to themselves. We talked about empathy fatigue and the idea that because of the way that mirror neurons on, we're actually feeling exactly what we're seeing, all of that pain. The difference with compassion is compassion has an element where we're actually actively trying to relieve that pain or that suffering. And so that active part is activating a different part of the brain. And one of the things that I think is really important to emphasize is that as a culture, we look at compassion as something outside of ourselves, where it's something we first need to do for ourselves, first filling up the well for ourselves. So even just taking a few breaths just to feel connected to the body, maybe placing your hands on your heart, feeling support in some way that can start to refill your own, like putting your oxygen mask on first before you then go out for the rest of the day. Very interesting. I have worked with so many people that have hit the wall. And I, in my work over the last 20 years, there have been times where I felt like I've, I've hit the wall. Uh, I've mentioned this probably several times on the show that, you know, when I felt like I was sort of at the, at the end of my rope, you know, I'd end up going into the shower and be in there for like in a half an hour and just decompress right in there. That was like my little safety zone. In the past, how have you handled those situations? And that's, that's really the benefit of these practices. I have really, especially for dealing with anxiety, I was in a job where I just would wake up in the morning and feel like I was already behind. It was global. I already had so many emails. And the way these practices have helped is just starting to connect to the body and bringing more breath in and starting to create more space. So the value of these practices is that it starts to create more space from whatever that stimulus might be to your response. 
There's a really famous quote. It's been attributed to Viktor Frankl, who created logotherapy and was a Holocaust survivor. But it's this idea that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our ability to choose our response. And in that response lies our freedom and our growth. And so doing these practices, what we're actually doing is we're creating more bandwidth between the part of the brain that's the the reptilian, the lizard, the reactive, the overwhelmed brain, the amygdala, which is that fight or flight, you know, I'm just constantly in that state of stress to our prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking brain, the more evolved brain. And the more we do these practices, we start to create some space that when we feel like we're getting overwhelmed, maybe we start to notice in the body like, oh, my neck's starting to get warm or my my hands are sweating. I'm starting to get stressed. We can start to just take a few breaths. Just Even just a few breaths can make a huge difference. And so there's both formal practice that you can do, can be supported through apps or through seeing a teacher or a group. But then there's informal practices, like you said, going into the shower, washing your hands, feeling the water on your hands before you're going back home to the office or if you're going out to work with some of the cats or the community, just sitting in your car, taking a few breaths and just connecting to your intention. What is your intention? I want to show up and be loving. I want to show up and have the strength to handle the situation. Just a few moments. We're, we're, I like to always say, Stacey, you know, we're breathing anyhow. And so the difference is just going from doing something to bringing awareness of doing it. Do you practice a standard morning routine? I do. I really like to have at a minimum just five minutes in the morning of connecting to my body. It's usually 30 minutes, but especially with someone that's just starting out, even just in the morning, connecting to how's the body feeling, doing a body scan. A body scan is a really powerful exercise. I I lead one on an app that I teach, but there's body scans available. And then really setting my intention for the day, even just that, how do I want to show up today? What kind of day am I looking to co-create? Setting an intention can be really valuable. And if you could share with us a little bit about what the Search Inside Yourself program that you have worked at at Google is about. Sure. This was a program that was developed. It's actually kind of funny. They wanted to bring mindfulness-based stress reduction to Google, but the engineers didn't sign up for it because stress was kind of like a badge of honor. This is how we get stuff (laughs) done. What they did was they married emotional intelligence and leadership development with mindfulness and neuroscience. And the big aha is that that awareness that I'm talking about that we cultivate through mindfulness is actually very similar to self-awareness, which is the first and most foundational competency of emotional intelligence. So we can actually train on our emotional intelligence. We can train on how we manage difficult situations, whether it's that email we didn't want to get or that person that said they were going to give us a donation that we didn't get. How do we manage that? Moving into some of what we were talking about with empathy and and leading with compassion. So it's a two-day full program taught over several weeks or just over a weekend. It depends on what folks are looking for. And it's really based on neuroscience. And, and it's, been, it's a really powerful program. Amy, if folks are interested in finding you or finding out more about the work that you're doing, how could they do that? Sure. Well, they can go to my website, which like everything in all of us is a work in progress. It's uh, amysandler.com. Or they can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at amysandler.com. They can certainly uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And then if they'd like to try some practices, there's an app called Simple Habit. And I lead a session called Leaders and Execs. And what's nice about this app, 
They're just five minute meditations each day. And I think we all have a few minutes to spend on our self-care. Amy, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I love the opportunity. I love what you're doing to help the cats and especially the people that love cats. I believe you're doing such important work and would just encourage you that the most important step is to make sure first that you're nourishing yourselves. Amy, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thanks, Stacey. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 